0: Welcome to The Record of Our Forebears podcast. I'm your host, Roland Godet III, and with me today, as usual, is my wonderful wife. (laughs) Summer Godet, hello, hello. On The Record of Our Forebears podcast, we discuss the stories of some of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So grab a pen, some paper, and get ready to learn something new. This is episode number four, and today, we bring to you Alauda Equiano and... St. Augustine. All right, so Alauda Equiano. A lot of what's known about him comes from his own biography, Mm -hmm. Um, a narrative, really. So, narratives is like a type of writing um, normally come out of the, the times of slavery Mm-hmm. Um, slavery in the Americas, um, when slaves would write their stories, they would, uh, this type of this genre of writing was called a narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, his narrative is called the, interest, the Interesting Narrative of the Life of Alauda Equiano or Gustavus Vasa the African. Gustavus Vasa was the name, um, his European name, that was given to him. Okay. So he was born, uh, Equiano was born around 1745 in Africa, uh, in a place called
1: Eseka.
0: Mm. Uh, Ebo, e- Eseka Ebo, in the kingdom of Benin. Okay. So the area today is uh, it's in Nigeria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when he was about 11 years old, um, so he writes about, he remembers living in Africa. Like, okay. So he was old enough um, when, when a lot of these things happened to remember, living in the village in Africa, remembering his mother, and his father, and his sister. And so he said that he wrote that when he was about 11 years old, um, him and his sister were left in the village alone, which was customary. Mm. The adults were out working, okay. and they were left in the village alone. They were kidnapped
1: mm-hmm. by another tribe.
0: Mm-hmm. And his sister and him were separated, and they were sold to slave traders, Wow. He said that they were sold, uh, he said over the next six to seven months, they had been sold to a bunch of different traders. He said mm-hmm. at one point, he ended up reconnecting with his sister and then they were separated again. But during those six to seven months, he was being sold to these different traders and they were getting closer and closer to the coast of Africa.
1: Mm.
0: Okay. And he said that he was brought to the west coast of Africa and forced aboard a European slave ship. Mm. So wow. seven months after he was kidnapped, he makes it to the coast of Africa and then they force him aboard a slave ship with about 244 other Africans wow. and that they were transporting to, the, uh, to Barbados. So they were going uh, across the Atlantic Ocean from the west coast of Africa to Barbados. Um, after they get to, Bar- <coughs> excuse me, after they get to Barbados, uh, Equiano and a few of the other Africans actually were taken up to the Virginia colony. Okay. So they dropped off, most of them, mm-hmm. in Barbados. Most of the Africans are Barbados and took him and a few others to Virginia, okay. to what became Virginia, because mm-hmm. it was 17, uh, 1756 at this point. Okay. So 11 years from he was born. Um, so I think one thing one thing that he wrote I feel like is super, super important. He describes the conditions aboard the slave ship. Mm. So I'm going to read this from his, um, from his narrative because it, it's tough. It's tough to hear. However, I, I think it's important. Okay. So this is, these are his words. The first object which saluted my eyes when I arrived on the coast was the sea and a slave ship, which was then riding at anchor and waiting for its cargo. These filled me with astonishment which was soon converted into terror when I was carried aboard. I was immediately handled and tossed up to see if I were sound by some of the crew. And I was now persuaded that I had gotten into a world of bad spirits and they, and they were going to kill me. Their complexions too differing so much from ours, their long hair and the language they spoke, which was very different from any I had ever heard, united to confirm me in this belief. When I looked round the ship and saw a large furnace and a multitude of black people of every description chained together, every one of their countenances expressing de- 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 excuse me, dejection and sorrow, mm. I no longer doubted my fate. And quite overpowered with horror and anguish, I felt motionless on the deck and fainted. When I recovered a little, I found some black people about me and asked them If we were not to be eaten by those white men with their horrible looks and red faces and loose hair, they told me I was not. Mm. I was soon put down under the decks and there I received such a salutation in my nostrils as I had never experienced in my life. Mm. So that with the loathsome, loathsomeness of the stench and crying together, I became so sick and low that I was not able to eat, nor I had the least desire to taste anything. I now wished for my last friend, death, to relieve me. Mm. But soon, to my grief, two of the white men offered me eatables. And on my refusing to eat, one of them held me fast by the hands, tied my feet, while the other one flogged me severely. I had never experienced anything of this kind before. And a little time after, amongst the poor, chained men, I found some of my own nation. I inquired of these what was to be done with us, and they gave me to under and they made me to understand that we were to be carried to these white people's country to work for them. So, he was able wow. to get with some people from his nation, and mm-hmm. he didn't want to eat. Um, part of one of the parts I left out is essentially they forced him to eat. Like of they course. they tied him up and yeah. held him down and, and forced, forced him to eat. Yes, yeah. So and then he continues. The stench of the hole while we were on the coast was so intolerably loathsome that it was dangerous to remain there for any time. And some of us had been permitted to stay on deck for fresh air. But now that the whole ship's cargo were confined together, it became absolutely pestilential. Mm. The closeness of the place and the heat of the climate added to the number in the ship, which was so crowded that each had scarcely room to turn himself. The smell almost suffocated us. This produced various copious perspirations so that the air became soon became unfit for respiration from a variety of loathsome smells and brought on a sickening a sickness among the slave of which many died. And the filth of the necessary tubs. The tubs are where the slaves relieved themselves Mm -hmm. into which children often fell Mm. and were almost suffocated. The shrieks of the women and the groans of the dying render the whole scene of horror almost inconceivable. Mm,
1: mm,
0: mm. So that is one of the toughest things I've ever had to read when I read it. And just imagining, like, remember us going to the uh, Charles H. Wright Museum in Detroit. Yes. And so part of the Charles H. Wright Museum in Detroit, they have a actual um a slave ship uh exhibit where you go down these stairs and they have mannequins that are chained up like the slaves were mm-hmm. tight in quarters and they have the sounds playing mm-hmm. uh, fortunately I, I they would have had to they can't do the smell because people wouldn't be able to, no. to do it but yeah. they have the sounds of, of crying and change clacking, and it's 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 a tough exhibit mm-hmm. it's necessary though mm-hmm. so and I've read this before, and I had that in my mind when I went down there, mm-hmm. and I could not imagine seeing a kid fall into a tub of yeah. human waste. waste and then almost suffocating. Like, that, it's, in, that's incredibly hor- horrific.
1: <laughs> they actually have his narrative at that museum as well. And they yeah. had that there for, for you to see. Yeah. And when we saw it, it was almost like, Because we know who he is. It was... Part of me felt like, oh, I felt so good seeing him there. And I'm like, I know who you are because Mm -hmm. I know your record and I know your story. And it's here. But just to listen to you read that, oh, it's just gut-punching. It's heartbreaking. I don't even have the, the correct words to even explain it. But just to hear it, it's just, you know, like this is not right this yep. should not be this is the totally opposite of
0: all things right and all things good <laughs> is yes I, I agree mm. so eventually they make it to you know like I said Barbados mm-hmm. and then Virginia. Okay Equiano makes it to Virginia So in Virginia He was brought uh, He was purchased by a man Named Michael uh, Henry Pascal And I feel like it's important To mention these people's names Of course Definitely The the oppressors Mm -hmm. uh, And the enslavers too Like a lot of times They go uh, unmentioned But I feel like we need To mention them too Because they are part Of this story
1: They are part Of the
0: record Part of the record Absolutely And uh, he was a lieutenant In the Royal Navy Okay Um, he rena- he renamed him Gustavus Vasa. Okay. Um, after some Swedish king, king of Sweden, like, um, but he was like the king of Sweden during the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. So he named him after a Christian guy. Like he bought a slave, a human being, mm-hmm. but was like, "Yo, I'm gonna give him a Christian name." Mm-hmm. Like, didn't see the irony in that, or the you know, just the hypocrisy, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. that. Um, by this time, this was the second time he had been renamed. They called him Michael when he was aboard the slave ship. Or they called him Jacob uh, when he first got to um, Barbados. Mm-hmm. Like, they just naming this, you know, 11-year-old. I couldn't imagine. We, I, we got a 12-year-old. I couldn't imagine somebody just like, no, your name is not. Your name is, you know, Chris now. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like,
0: unbelievable. So... um he said that he refused the Gustafa's Vasa name. And he said that, just call me Jacob. Like, that was the name that he preferred. Mm-hmm. Said it gained him a cuff, which I assume that means that they locked him up for that. Like, yes. Oh, no, you ain't going to call you what you want. He said eventually he submitted to the new name. Okay. So they forced him. They forced the name on him. Um, he said he ended up using the Gustavus name, Gust- uh, Gustavus Vasa name for the rest of his life. Um, and it's on all his official records. Okay. Uh, Equiano, the reason we know that name is because that's the name that he used in his biography, his okay. autobiography. So all his records are Gustavus Vasa. Mm hmm. So he was forced to uh, accompany Pascal back to Great Britain and then joined the lieutenant when he fought against the French in the Seven Years' War. Wow. So. The Seven Years' War in uh, America, we call that the French and Indian War. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
0: But uh, this is the same war between France France and Great Britain. Um, So he eventually sent Equiano to his sister in law in Great Britain so that he can learn to read. Because eventually he earned Pascal's favor because of how he worked on the ship during the war. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was actually with him during some battles.
1: Well, I'm sure he probably had a hand in saving his life and other members (laughs) of his crew's life. So, yes, you you can go and read. Right. So he sent him to a
0: sister-in-law, Great Britain. They taught him how to read and how to write in English. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he knew how to read and write in his own language. Mm-hmm. But they taught him how to read and write in English. And he converted to Christianity on the 9th of February in 1759. Okay. Um, he was sold again and transported back to the Caribbean in 1762. <sighs> wow. Um, and they said once he was there, he was sold to an American merchant. Named Robert King Who was a Quaker From Philadelphia Okay So A lot of times We hear about the Quakers We hear that they're abolitionists uh, And for yes. the most part They were
1: Okay I'm like okay This right. sounds like The things are turning God in his favor right now
0: Maybe right. If, But apparently if, This Robert King guy Wasn't an abolitionist yet Oh no Not yet He purchased he gets, them He owned people But <laughs> uh, a, a few years After King purchased them He Told Equiano that Look I want you to buy your freedom I'm going to give you Opportunity to buy your freedom and if you do, I want you to stay here with me. We can go in business together. He wanted him to stay in the Caribbean and go to biz- go in business with him.
1: Okay, did you see my face? I said, mm, I gave you the little head tip. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: apparently business was good with Equiano there. And he was like, I want you to stay here with me wow. and go okay. in business with me. Um, he said that it was dangerous to remain as a freeman in the, British colony, in the British colony zone. He said one time he actually got kidnapped in Georgia. And they tried to put take him back in the enslavement. And Robert King had to come and get him like, no, this he's free. Give me this guy back. So he was like, I'm going back to London. So he ended up going back to London in the 1780s where he became uh, involved in the uh, English abolitionist movement. Okay. So he wrote his narrative in about 17 or this is around the time when he started writing this narrative about 1789. Um, he started writing his narrative and it went through about nine different editions because obviously he was still alive adding to it. And so he wrote, wrote his narrative and it's actually one of the earliest known writings uh, published by an African writer to be widely read in England. By 1792 it was a bestseller and had been published in Russian, German, German Holl- uh, Dutch and in the United States. Wow. It was the first influential slave narrative, which became obviously a huge genre mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. writings. So his book was kind of the kicking off of 12, the Years, Sna- a the slave. Sla- yeah, Twelve Years a Slave or uh, uh, Frederick Douglass's narrative. Mm-hmm. His, his was the first one that gained influence around the world and it okay. actually helped to get abolition passed in Britain because it influenced so many people. Wow. Yep, so. Um, It just fueled, like, one of the things that I read, it said it actually fueled the anti-slave movement in Great Britain and Europe and eventually in the New World. Mm. So it says that in 18, or excuse me, in 1783, um, once the United States gained its independence from Great Britain, Equiano became involved in helping the poor black people in London. Most of those were, so one of the things that happened during the, uh, the American Revolution was, the British came over and told the um, the African slaves, they say, "Hey, if you join our side, fight for the British to keep these Americans, you know, under the crown, we'll give you your freedom." And so, a lot of uh, a lot of slave, a lot of black African slaves fought with the British against the Americans during the American Revolution because mm. they were like, you know, these dudes gonna free us." Yes. Um, obviously, once the British lost, you a traitor now. And you're going back into slavery. So the British actually took a whole bunch of slaves back to, or a whole bunch of Africans, mm-hmm. freed, freed Africans back to um, Great Britain with them.
1: Mm, okay. But
0: they were poor, didn't have anything. Yeah. They weren't educated, a lot of them, they didn't have anything. So he, Equiano became involved in helping them, helping them get on their feet okay. back in London. Okay. Um, he ended up marrying a woman named Susan Cullen. Um, I believe Susan or Suzanne Susanna Cullen. I believe okay. she's a white woman. So okay. in seven in 1792, this African guy married a white woman in England, which is seems like it's something that like did that really happen? Like, I, I, but it did. Um, they eventually settled uh, in a in an area called Cambridgeshire, and they had two children. They had two daughters. Um. His wife died at age 34 and he died a year after her. Mm-hmm. He ended up dying in, on March 31st, 1797. So a lot of is just, I mean, one of the things that he said about his conversion, I know I kind of glanced over his conversion to Christianity, but there's a reason why. Because mm-hmm. later in, the, in his narrative, he describes his conversion. He okay. said that um, he had been... Uh, he had been witnessed to by, um, his Pascal's sister-in-law, um, when he was going there to learn how to read and they had, you know, they would take him to church and, Mm -hmm. but he didn't understand any of the things that were going on because Mm -hmm. he wasn't familiar with that. He wasn't familiar with Christianity. Okay. Um, you know, we hear a lot of, oh, the only reason that, um, black people are Christians is because they forced it on them, you know, when they was bringing them over on the ships, he didn't hear Christianity on the slave ship.
1: Mm-hmm. He didn't
0: hear Christianity on the coast of Africa. Mm-hmm. He didn't hear it in Barbados or Virginia. He heard it through some women who just were teaching them how to read. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, and they didn't force it on him, they just were telling them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Eventually he said that he felt convicted and he didn't know what to do with that. Mm. And he started talking to uh, um, another merchant who he was still <laughs> enslaved, but uh-huh. there was another white merchant on the ship that uh-huh. worked closely with the enslaved man, with enslaved men. He began to talk to him. And that is the person that eventually told him, like, you've got to ask God to forgive you and, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can get baptized. Mm-hmm. And that's when he eventually converted. Wow. And before he converted, he had no he said that he had no inclination to help anybody else become free. He said his whole goal was to get himself free. Mm. He said he didn't get himself free and, you know, he was making good money with the Robert King guy. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm I'm good. I'm
1: fine. I'm just surviving. Like most of us, right? We just want to survive. We just want to
0: survive. But he said that that his faith as it grew is when he was like, I have to do something about this injustice that's going on Mm -hmm. with people who look like me. Mm -hmm. And that's why, that's when he began to get involved in the abolitionist movement and, essentially influenced almost you know was just kind of jumping off point for a nation for Mm -hmm. one of the most powerful nations in the world at the time Great Britain Mm -hmm. and they say the sun never sets on the British Empire Mm -hmm. to get rid of slavery across their empire now had the U.S. lost the American Revolution slaves would have been free a lot earlier Um, way earlier (laughs) however we'll just let that sit right there for a minute (laughs) obviously it went on a little longer here because you know we got our freedom from Britain oh yes yes but um yeah, so he is definitely one of the most interesting people um, that I've read about. I've read a lot about him, mm-hmm. in, you know, in my life. So this is, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, we, that I just talked about are things that I, I've known about mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Keanu. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is just, I mean, I would encourage anybody to read his narrative. It's mm-hmm. not super long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's easy to read. I mean, some of the stuff is a little hard. Obviously, the language is different, but it's, it's, it's pretty easy to read. He's an incredible person he is
1: incredible Yep. sounds incredible um, just amazing and just as oh my goodness his life um, I'm so happy that we have this record
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that um, it's accessible to anyone because he, it's so old now right yep it's in, the, um, it's in
0: the it's in the domain it's in the, uh, in the public, public domain. domain yep
1: and um, anyone can go and read this download it for free yep, yep. for themselves wow wow Okay, well, I'm going to take us back.
0: Well, you got somebody else whose record is also in the public domain, so. <laughs>
1: yeah, someone else's uh, record is also in the public domain, and I'm going to take us back um, even further uh, to talk about Augustine of Hippo, um, also known as St. Augustine um, or Augustine. Um, he was a philosopher. And a theologian, and um, the Bishop of Hippo. Mm. And um, many, many people know him, but I really just felt like this was still another great record. Um, I bet you a lot of people are like, he was black?
0: Because Uh, because if you look at those stained glass windows and...
1: Yes, there are many, many uh, paintings and images of uh, Saint Augustine, um, and he appears to be European, maybe, um, but he um, was from Africa, was from North Africa as well, and um, and that's really important too. That's why we're talking about you know his record, yep. um, and this you know individual has had a massive influence on um, the Western um, Christianity as we Mm -hmm. know it. Um, His writings influenced it and influenced the development
0: of Western Christianity
1: and philosophy.
0: Protestantism.
1: uh, It goes on and on. His teachings on salvation and um, divine grace, Mm -hmm. Um, many of our other fathers who came after him Um, councils look to him, um, to his understanding. Um, And he's really known as one of those most influential uh, church fathers. And he probably, uh, from what I've read, was known as one of the greatest writers of his time Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And uh, he wrote so many, so many books, had so many writings, um, but his most famous Uh, is the confessions of uh, St. Augustine, Mm -hmm. uh, which we talked about a little bit before when we uh, we spoke about um, his mother, Monica. Right. And again, that confessions, those confessions were inspired by the death of his mother, Monica, uh, who, when we talked about previously, um, prayed for his conversion to the Mm -hmm. faith. um, And... um, Pray for decades, pray for decades, because he became a Christian um, in his 30s and his like early 30s. Wow. And um, in his youth, he talks about how he followed many faiths and philosophies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a Hellenistic mm-hmm. uh, philosophy was one of those that kind of popped out to me when I read that and um, how his confessions, those writings just he used that time, um, to talk about like his journey Mm -hmm. to Christianity and his acceptance of God. So this was a a very, um, intelligent individual. He was sent to, you know, learn, um, Latin and all of these Mm -hmm. different things, um, because his mother was, um, wealthy. She was noble and his father, um, was a higher up in like, you know, Roman military. And so, um, he was sent to school and to training and so even in his writing he talks about how he just kind of played around and, and dibbled and dabbled and um Yeah,
0: as we as you know, as, as we are as one is one to do. <laughs> as
1: know. one is one is prone to do. Right. right. When we're given so much, right? Mm-hmm. And um and he talked about how, you know, he went after all of these different things and even like in his writing, parts of his writing, it made me think about um King Solomon and how he had all of these things and he had all this wisdom said it's all vanity and it was all vanity and he said like I have all of these things um, but there's but there's only one true thing one uh, you know everlasting and I just want to share a quote uh, passage from his writing is an excerpt from his confessions this is what he said I have loved you too late Beauty so ancient and so new, I have loved you too late. You were with me, but I was not with you. I was away from you, running after the beauties which you have made. The things which exist only through you kept me far away from you. You have called, cried out, and pierced my deafness. You have enlightened me, and my blindness is banished by your brightness. I have tasted you and I am hungry for you. You have touched me and I am on fire with longing to embrace you." And I just thought like, you know, I say Solomon, but he kind of reminded me of that. Just so poetic, like mm. this great mind, but then he has time for poetry. <laughs> and um, and the you is God. The you is the creator of mm. all things. And um, I think at that point in time, like he's faced with death, with this death of his mother um, who ran after him. Mm. He tried to get away from his mom and his mom was like, you need to stop your running Mm -hmm. and you need to know why you were created and why you're here. And he finally, you know, after looking at, I think it's, I think that he had to go through, he had to go left to go right, right? He Mm. had to do the Michigan left, right? He had to do that. In order to get to where he was because he had tasted and tried everything. He had tried all these different philosophies and all of these faiths and realized that these were not these were not the one for him. They Mm -hmm. were not right. And so um, just kind of being able to see that, having that great mind, Mm -hmm. that great mind to be able to try and process and break down the why, why are we here? What is our purpose? And to be able to see, okay, I have it. I finally have the purpose. And then to put it all down in writing, to be able to last for thousands of years, for us to be able to have access to that, to that knowledge and truth. Is amazing, yep. and he is uh, one of our forebears, right? One of our absolutely fathers. And um, grateful, I'm very grateful to find that information. And um, I have found some paintings, some stained glass paintings, and, and so on and so forth of uh, Augustine and his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, that will, you know, represent a brown likeness uh, of sorts. But still, I encourage you if you um, have not. Uh, Read more about his story, his origins, you know, his birth, his uh, birth in Africa and North Africa Um, to do so. We know about um, his his writings and his teachings, but to find out about um, the man himself is really interesting.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I think one of the things you said that was super uh, important is that he didn't. um, He wasn't saved until he was in his 30s. A lot of times we assume like. men like Augustine who we put on like this pedestal of like oh man you know like, yeah, you know, we know good, some good Christians, but just like a super Christian, you mm-hmm. know, kind of put mm-hmm. them on like a pedestal. Yes. <laughs> probably one that he wouldn't want. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm of course sure, not. But we put them on those type of pedestals now. Um, we assume that like, oh, they, they grew up hearing oh, yeah. the scriptures and oh, they've yeah. always been a Christian. Oh,
1: that man is a PK. That's a pastor's kid right. for anyone who doesn't know. Right. He was
0: born in this. <laughs> right. He was born into the faith, but it's like, nah, he struggled just like we do. Mm-hmm. He struggled with, mm-hmm. you know. All kinds of sin that he yes. talks about in his book, yes. yet God still was like, "Nah, I need you. I'm, I need. Nah, no, I need him. I mm-hmm. need. I need that one." Yeah, and he was able to. Man, his influence is just—it's almost too much to really be like. explain because it's so his influence is so big Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the people who we can name that are huge people in the faith who are influenced by him is just I mean off the charts Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah I I, yeah Augustine is definitely one of those one of those dudes that he's got to be on your list of you got to get familiar if you don't know Augustine you got to get familiar
1: yes definitely get
0: familiar Augustine so Yeah, thank you for joining us uh, on the Record of Our Forebears podcast. We appreciate you having us. Please join us next time. We can get into some more and continue to learn with us.
1: Until next time.
0: Peace.